Order. Questions to the Prime Minister. Tom Brake. Number one, Mr Speaker. Mr Speaker, sir, before listening my engagements, I'm sure the whole House will join with me in sending our condolences and sympathy to the families of Corporal Peter Thorpe and Lance Corporal Jabron Hashmi, who were killed in Afghanistan over the weekend. They were immensely brave and committed soldiers, and we mourn their loss deeply. Mr Speaker, sir, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others. In addition to my duties in the House, I will have further such meetings later today. In the last week, we have witnessed the systematic destruction of the infrastructure that the Palestinian, needs, the Palestinian people need for their survival. Uh, does the Prime Minister agree with me that this uh, military action is in breach of international law, constitutes collective punishment, uh, which the international community should condemn and bring an end to as soon as possible? <laughs> Well, I entirely agree that the situation is very serious uh, there, and we have made it clear um, what we believe the Israeli government should do in these circumstances. However, I return to the point I've made on many, many occasions. We can condemn Israel on the one hand or the Palestinian Authority on the other. The only thing that will resolve this ultimately is a restart to the negotiation process and a two-state solution that is in the interests of Israelis and Palestinians. George Hurth. Mr. Speaker, does... Um in view of the fact that, the, that London has its own elected assembly, uh, its own directly elected mayor who even has his own foreign policy, uh, does, does my right honourable friend think the time is now approaching when we should ban London MPs for voting? Tempting as occasionally that may be, no, I think it is important that we have one class of Member of Parliament. I think that is an essential part of our Constitution. And I hope very much that the right honourable gentleman will rethink his position on this. It is wholly contrary, not just to the spirit of our Constitution, but an utterly irresponsible thing to do or propose. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Can I join the Prime Minister? in paying tribute to the two servicemen killed in Afghanistan on the 1st of July, Corporal Peter Thorpe and Lance Corporal Jabron Hashmi. Lance Corporal Hashmi's family said yesterday he was proud to serve in the British Army and you can be proud to be both Muslim and British. The family are right and the extremists who seek to divide us are wrong. The British troops in Afghanistan have our full support. Preventing that country from becoming again a rogue state that backs terror is inevitably a complex mission. It means supporting the Afghan government in a range of tasks and confronting the Taliban. Major General Peter Wall has said resistance has been more virulent than had been anticipated. Can the Prime Minister confirm that that is the case? Yes, I think it is, it is absolutely clear that the Taliban will fight very hard, particularly in the south of the country, in order to regain their foothold, in order to turn Afghanistan back into a failed state with uh, the headquarters of al-Qaeda there and with the people brutally oppressed by a regime that was um, not just uh, bloody in what it did to its own people, um, but also in what it exported to the rest of the world. So yes, they're going to fight very hard there. And the mission of um, the British forces there is absolutely clear, as is the mission of the other forces, for example, Germany and Italy have forces in the north and the west of the country. It is to support the Afghan government centrally and locally so that they can reconstruct their country so that what the Afghans voted for, namely a stable, prosperous, democratic, tolerant society, can come about. Come on. 
Thank you, Mr. Speaker. The Prime Minister said yesterday that to date he had received no requests for reinforcements. Does that statement cover equipment, including helicopter lift capacity? And what discussions has he had with our NATO allies so that should further combat troops or equipment be required, our allies will also make an increased contribution? We have not at the present time received a request um, from the commanders on the ground for more resources, either in terms of logistics or troops. However, um, it is the case that, of course, they will be looking very carefully now that we're actually in the Helmand province at what we need. And as I indicated yesterday, if they need more, we will make sure that they get more. And in the end, this is very important to realize. The operational plans are drawn up and implemented by the commanders on the ground. That's how it should be. But if they desire more from us, then of course we will make sure we give them every support. And I just want to make this clear as well. The British troops who are there are doing the most extraordinary and heroic job. Um, they are fighting a battle that I think is not just important for the security of Afghanistan. It is important for the security of the wider world. And it is absolutely right that we give them every support. We will do that. It's also worth pointing out that we sadly have lost troops in Afghanistan. So have many, many other countries as well, including um, Germany and Italy and Spain. And it's important we realize that when they give their lives in the service of our country, they're giving their lives in support of a mission that is absolutely necessary and vital to our security here in this country. Chairman. At the heart of the whole mission is actually the reconstruction of Afghanistan. And there are many different people involved, the Afghan government, the aid agencies, the UN. Last week, the Shadow Foreign Secretary suggested appointing a special representative mandated by the UN and approved by the Afghan government who could help bring these efforts together. The minister at the time said this was a sensible suggestion, and I wondered if the Prime Minister has given further consideration to this idea to ensure good coordination on the ground. Well, I haven't uh, myself given consideration to it, but I've, I've no doubt that we will do so, and if it's sensible, um, we, we will do it. The most important thing is to try and, and back the efforts of the Afghan government, who are building up their own um, police and army forces, who have got to make sure that their economy, which the Taliban effectively turned into a narco economy, is able to be reconstructed on a basis that does not depend on the drugs trade. That itself is a very, very difficult mission for which we have the lead responsibility in the whole of Afghanistan. And I also think it's important that the other countries, I mean, down in the south of the country, we have at the moment around about 3,600 troops, I think it is. There are around about 6,000 troops from other countries. This is a mission of NATO and of the United Nations, and it's important the international community realizes this is not just about the British and the American effort. It's about the united effort of the international community, and we have to stay the course. And whether it's in Afghanistan where we're supporting their efforts for democracy, because again, millions of Afghans came out and decided they wanted a democracy, or in Iraq, our job is to stand alongside our allies fighting the terrorists and fighting for democracy. Given the disappointing failure of last weekend's World Trade Talks, will my right honourable friend give me his assurance that he will use his best endeavours to ensure that Western leaders live up to their promises to give a fairer trade deal for the world's poor? I will do my uh, level best to do it. I mean, there are two aspects of this. The first is to make sure we get a proper development package, um, which will include aid for trade, which is very important for these uh, poorest countries to be able to get the capacity to trade properly if the markets are opened up. But in addition to that, we will obviously try, even at this late hour, and it is getting now very, very late indeed for this, um, to make sure that the other countries come together and, and give us support in trying to ensure that we get not just 
um, freer markets in Europe and in the United States and in Japan, but also freer non-agricultural market access in the G20 countries, including Brazil and India. But I, I do say this, this is now very, very late in the day to get an agreement, and I think the next couple of weeks will be absolutely critical, particularly in the run-up to the uh, G8 conference. Ms. Campbell. Mr. Speaker, may I associate myself and my honourable and right honourable friends with the expressions of condolence and sympathy from both the Prime Minister and the Leader of the Opposition just moments ago. On the 1st of March, the Prime Minister told me that he did not believe that the arrangements for the extradition of United Kingdom citizens to the United States were unfair. Does he still believe that? I do believe that they're not unfair, um, for the reason that I can give them, although I totally understand um, the concern of the individuals who are to be um, extradited and their families as to what may happen in terms of bail particularly when they get to the United States, and I will say something more about that in a moment. But what is important to realize is that the changes that we made a few years ago are changes that, that ended what was a situation where the United States was uniquely, um, it's actually correct to say, that the United States has been given preferential treatment or the arrangements in respect of evidence are not reciprocal. However, I do understand the real concern that the families will have as to what happens when they go to the United States, and I have asked our officials to look and see whether there's any support or assurances we can give so that if they are extradited, then they are actually given the opportunity to be bailed. The Prime Minister will be aware of the scourge of human trafficking, which has brought several thousand young girls to work as sex slaves in massage parlours and brothels in the UK. There is a Council of Europe convention on this, which 26 members of the Council of Europe have signed. Britain, alas, is not one of them, and all party group of MPs is working on this. I don't ask the Prime Minister to agree to sign it in the dispatch box today, though that would be very welcome to Amnesty International the Anti-Slavery Association and others working in this field. But if he can't do that, might he agree to meet an all-party group to try and persuade him that the Home Office officials resisting this are wrong and the new Home Office team should sign it forthwith? Well, I'm very happy to meet my honourable friend and any such delegation to discuss the issue with him. Jeremy Brown. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Everyone recognises the extra money that has been spent on the NHS. So... So why is, it, why is it, Mr Speaker, that Musgrove Park Hospital in Taunton is struggling with a £6 million deficit? Why is it having to close the Alfred Morris Centre that gives specialist treatment to people with severe head injuries? And why are people from my constituency still having to travel 100 miles to Bristol and back to receive cancer treatment? First of all, um, can I thank him for his recognition of the extra money that has gone in? And it's that extra money that, for example, in the Strategic Health Authority in which his constituency is situated, it has meant more than 6,000 more nurses, 800 more doctors, uh, over 1,000 more consultants, and, of course, for treatment for the patients, all the waiting times, outpatient and inpatient, have come down dramatically. But it is the case that all health trusts are going to have to live within their means. That is so irrespective of the amount of money that we put in. And it's important that health authorities and the trust take the decisions that are necessary to put our health service on a sustainable basis. But that sustainable basis is one in which waiting times will continue to fall and treatment will continue to improve. Paul Flynn. Does he 
recall his uh, defense minister saying in April that the Hellman mission uh, would last three years and we would come out of it, the British Army, without firing a single shot. Uh, we're now in a position uh, where five of our soldiers have died, uh, many Afghanis have died, some Taliban, some civilians, and aren't we in grave danger on this mission, which has been described by many in the military and elsewhere as a mission impossible, of driving the ordinary people of Afghanistan into the hands of Taliban? And could we explain to our American friends that you cannot win hearts and minds by using bombs and bullets? Or surrendering either. Well, first of all, <laughs> first of all let me just uh, correct the impression that, that, that there is, and my honourable friend has just repeated it, that my right honourable friend said that this is a mission where not a shot would be fired. What he actually said is that he would be happy if that were so, but went on to warn people in the following terms. We are here to stabilise and build the country, and the Taliban, the terrorists, want to stop us doing that. If they attack us, we will defend ourselves, and if defending ourselves at the operational level means taking preemptive action, we will do that. In other words, he most certainly was not saying this was a mission without danger. He was saying precisely the opposite. But I really have to say to my honourable friend, the idea that somehow it is us that are driving people into the arms of the Taliban, there is a democratic government in Afghanistan for the first time. That's why, for example, girls are allowed back in school again, which I would have thought even my honourable friend would support. And our job is to stay with those people who want Afghanistan to progress as a democracy and defeat the terrorists, and anything else would be a dereliction of duty. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. This week marks the anniversary of the first suicide bombing attacks in Britain. The whole country will be remembering the 52 people of all faiths and none who were killed and the hundreds who were wounded. Of the 500 victims who have applied for compensation, almost 300 are still waiting for final settlement. Does the Prime Minister agree with me that those people should not have to wait so long? I entirely agree that it's important that there... Um, claims for compensation are dealt with as quickly as possible. Obviously, the compensation authority is independent of government, but they are trying to make sure that not just the interim claims they're paying out, but the other, um, the full claims are paid out as soon as possible. And this is something that we constantly discuss with them, as well as obviously with the, um, the, the relatives of the victims of 7-7. Yesterday, the Prime Minister was right to emphasise the role the Muslim community itself should play in helping to root out extremism. But we all have a role to play in helping to foster a greater sense of common citizenship. Does the Prime Minister agree with me that we need a nationwide and an ambitious programme, including youth volunteering and school exchanges, as a part of this? Does he further agree with me that these will work best if they have the participation of all parties right from the start? And will he make sure that that happens in all cases in future? I agree entirely. It's important that, that we engage everyone um, in fostering good community relations and in saying that irrespective of whether people are of one religion or creed or another, that what we share as British values are the British values of tolerance, of respect for other people, um, of um, democracy and liberty. And it's important that those values are carried through into every single part of our community. And of course, um, I welcome the help and participation of all political parties in that. And indeed, I think it is uh, very 
very much to the credit of the political system in this country that all major parties are committed to such a future for, for Britain. And when I said yesterday that I thought it was important that um, the Muslim community obviously confronts the issues within the community itself, I didn't mean that in any shape or form to diminish our responsibility to do our part as well. The fact is we are all going to have to work very hard at rooting out this extremism. It is, a, it is a global movement, I'm afraid, with a global ideology, but it will be defeated only when we defeat its ideas as well as its methods. Mark Lazarevich. Today, again highlighted the recent increases both in household fuel bills and the profits of the energy companies. Will my right honourable friend ask the DTI to look at the case being made by consumer organisations for a better use of social tariffs which would bring down fuel bills for vulnerable consumers while at the same time meaning those who consume more energy and the power companies would pay more? Well, I'm sure um, those at the DTI will have heard my honourable friend's words and, and will no doubt look into them. Philip Davis. Yes. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Last week, my honourable friend for Monmouth launched SAFER, a campaign to stop all forms of early release. Given that a poll over the weekend showed that 89% of the public now supported this, does the Prime Minister now think the time has come to make sure that prisoners serve the sentence handed down by the courts in full? And if not, why not? There has always been a system of parole in this country. What I would point out to the Honourable Gentleman, however, is that prison sentences have been longer and there are more people in prison over these past few years. What is important, I think, is that there is consistency in sentencing, and that is something we're working on with the Sentencing Guidelines Council. Mohammed Sarwar. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. My right honourable friend knows that I'm a Glasgow MP representing a Glasgow constituency. May I ask my right honourable friend if it is his intention to make me second class MP representing second class nations? Uh, no, I can assure my honourable friend that, that is not my intention. As a member of the Right Honourable Gentleman's Party said yesterday such a thing would be a constitutional abortion, uh, it would be completely wrong. The fact is our constitution relies on there being one class of MP in this House. That is absolutely right. And under this government, it will always remain so. Could the Prime Minister tell the House on how many occasions he has started an investigation under his ministerial code and whether he thinks it appropriate that his Deputy Prime Minister should stay with an American businessman. Uh, order. Order. Please say that. This matter has been put before the Parliamentary Commissioner, and there will be no more discussed about it until the Parliamentary Commissioner. Order. Anne Snellgrove. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Uh, Churchfield School, in my constituency, was one of a hundred schools achieving specialist status earlier this week. The school, where I am a governor, was in special measures until three years ago. Therefore, specialist science and math status represents a considerable achievement by the staff and students. Would my right honourable friend uh, join me in congratulating Churchfields and all the new specialist schools, and would he agree with me that specialist schools not only provide choice and a guarantee of educational achievement for parents, but they are crucial in fulfilling our aim of motivating schools to achieve better results? I think the Prime Minister will be able to reply. Prime Minister. Uh, well, uh, 
First of all, I'd like to uh, give my congratulations to Churchville School and my honourable friend's constituents in attaining specialist status. Now, a majority of schools are specialist schools. Um, their results are improving very rapidly. They go alongside, obviously, the City Academy programme as well. And the truth is we are creating, having significantly raised the results in primary schools, we're now creating the basis upon which we can get um, those increased results in secondary schools as well. And this is all part of the process of investment and reform to give us a 21st century education system. Thank you, why they are facing the prospect of the downgrading of the accident and, an emergency unit at St Richard's Hospital in Chichester, the downgrading of the A&E unit at Worthing Hospital, while Littlehampton Hospital is a pile of rubble with the rebuilding programme on hold, and why the Richard Hotham Mental Health Unit in Bognor Regis War Memorial Hospital is to close after just five years after it's opening. I don't know about the specific circumstances of the Honourable Gentleman's constituency, but what I would say to him is this, that I've no doubt at all, if I do look at the specific circumstances, I will find there has been massive investment in the healthcare services in his constituency, all of which was opposed by him and his colleagues, that I will find that waiting lists are down, that cancer and cardiac treatment is better, and yes, it is true that in all constituencies, that difficult decisions have to be taken as to how we configure health care for today's world, but those decisions need to be taken no matter how much money is put in. What is absurd, however, is for Conservatives to complain about the funding in the health service when they voted against the very funding we put in. Despite some very challenging financial situation in my constituency, would my right honourable friend agree, agree and join me in congratulating the staff of Southport Northgate Hospital for their fantastic, really fantastic work in meeting ahead of schedule the government's waiting list targets and also having the best waiting times for A&E in the Strategic Health Authority area. We need to congratulate our staff. You give my congratulations to uh, my honourable friend's uh, hospital, but also to say that if we take healthcare throughout the entire country, it's not merely that the waiting lists for inpatient and outpatient are dramatically different from where they were nine years ago. But in accident and emergency departments, which we were discussing a moment or two ago, I think most people, never mind even on a statistic, how much money we put in, as I said in answer to a question a moment or two ago, that there's going to be a limit and the health authorities and trusts have to operate within that limit. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Does my right honourable friend, the Prime Minister, agree with me that it is unfair the rises in energy costs for domestic customers, but also that we are now seeing a suffering across the whole of manufacturing with the heavy bills of energy that have gone up from 35 to 40 percent in 12 months. And it is giving us a disadvantage between European competitors and heavy users within industry in this country. Would he see what he could do through his good offices to get a fair deal from the energy companies? Well, I think the point that my honourable friend makes is, of course, very, very important for, for industry. And it's one of the questions that the Energy Review specifically addresses because we need to improve our storage capacity for the energy we import. But we also need to make sure we have got a sustainable basis for energy supply in the future that does not make us dependent on imports. Because, as my honourable friend rightly uh, implies, the fact is prices have gone up three times in the last um, few months. And as a result of that, of course, it's very, very difficult for the intensive energy users. But the answer is to keep the economy stable, which of course we are doing, and make sure we have secure supplies for the future. Rindin Paisley, I'd like to associate myself with the remarks already made by the other leaders 
and sympathy for those that are sorrowing with deep sorrow today. I'd like to ask the Prime Minister, is he aware that the Northern Ireland Assembly is to come back on Friday? And is he also aware that uh, IRA Sinn Féin have announced they'll not be attending, they will be boycotting uh, that uh, particular meeting? And would he not agree with me that the Deputy Leader of IRA Sinn Féin would be better employed doing the work he's supposed to be doing for his constituency than going round the world and praising other terrorist organisations yeah. in their murder campaign. Yeah. Well, obviously, uh, it's important that the debate take place on Friday. I hope everyone participates in it. But the single thing that would make the biggest difference, as I'm sure the right honourable gentleman accepts, is to make sure we have proper devolved institutions in which these debates and indeed decisions can be taken. Gordon Banks. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Africa has 24% of the global uh, disease burden, only 3% of the world's health workers, and 1% of the world's health spending. A year on from the Glen Eagles G8 summit, how does my honourable friend view the progress we have made on African climate change, and what steps will he take to ensure these two issues are kept at the top of the international agenda at St. Petersburg and beyond? We will have a debate on Africa at St. Petersburg where I hope we will recommit ourselves to the commitments that the G8 gave last year. And just to mention two things, obviously on debt relief there has been a very substantial progress that has meant, for example, in countries like Nigeria we've literally got hundreds of thousands of people being able to have schooling they otherwise wouldn't have. But secondly, that we have put forward now the plan with the funding um, to get the near universal access to HIV AIDS treatment and treatment of the killer diseases is another key objective of Glen Eagles that we're taking forward. And once again, uh, I, I would say that this country, particularly in, for example, its investment going forward in education, £8.5 billion over the next 10 years for, for um, countries overseas, is playing a leading role in what I, I do believe, as I've often said, is the great moral cause of our time. why the Minister for Transport accepted a bid that included a baseline bid of an increase in fares and less passengers on First Capital Connect's line. Yeah. I mean, again, of course it's very important that we uh, get more people using tr public transport. That is, of course, important. But I have to say to the Honourable Lady that, in the end, um, also the companies have got to make ends meet. And the only way that we could be in a position where we were avoiding that through government is if we were putting even greater public subsidy into transport. And I would just point out to her, I know she wasn't a, a member at the time, but when we did put forward the plans that allowed us to treble uh, transport expenditure, her party actually voted against those plans. Thank you, Mr Speaker. My right honourable friend will be aware that at the end of May, the National Institute for Health and Clinical Excellence confirmed its decision to restrict the Alzheimer's drugs uh, Aricept, Exelon and Reminil and completely withdraw the drug Ibixa from the NHS. That decision was met with utter dismay from the carers and medical uh, doctors dealing in Alzheimer's and it will obviously have an adverse effect on the three quarters of a million Alzheimer's sufferers. 
can I ask my right honourable friend, even at this late stage, to visit that decision once again? There, there is, a, as I understand it, uh, an, an appeal um, that will um, continue about that particular decision. And I think in respect of Ibiza, I think I'm right in saying that they said it should be part of a clinical trial rather than available now. We are actually putting more research and development money into the cures for Alzheimer's and dementia. Um, but I totally understand the concern. I think that is the reason why it has been taken to appeal. But the fact is, to have an independent system with the uh, Institute of Clinical Excellence has actually been the right system. And uh, my honourable friend will remember, before we set up that institute, how many different arguments there were about whether treatments were justified or not. So I think the system's the right one. The decision can be looked at. Order.